You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. can't just say, well, I really, I believe in my heart. No. Are you willing to confess Jesus Christ publicly? Publicly. So there's the Romans road. Hopefully that'll help you. Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23, and Romans 10.9. Those are great verses to be able to share with people in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. If our relationship with Christ has little or no influence on our lives, it brings into question whether we've truly experienced Him. His transformation goes beyond a simple inward renovation. As Pastor Danny continues to lead us through our study of Revelation, we are reminded of the importance of our witness in this lost world. We are rapidly approaching the cataclysmic events detailed in this book, and it's vital that our lives and words are a living testimony to the redemptive love of our Savior. Now here's Pastor Danny in Revelation chapter 11 as he continues his message, A Witness for Christ in a Wicked World. Revelation chapter 11. We paused here, and I won't read the whole text. What we have here in Revelation chapter 11 is right in the heart of the tribulation period, two witnesses chosen by God. They are Jewish witnesses, and they minister specifically in Israel and more specifically in Jerusalem. For three and a half years, they proclaim truth, they no doubt share the gospel. And then this chapter tells us that when they have finished their testimony, verse 7, the beast that comes up from the abyss, the Antichrist, um, will attack them and overpower and kill them. So when their ministry is complete, uh, they're allowed to be killed. Their bodies lie in the streets of Jerusalem for uh, three days. The world sees them on national television, and the the world has the first ever anti-Christmas. Uh, the world sends gifts to one another because they're so excited because these guys are dead. They've been given power and they have ministries similar to Moses and Elijah. They can strike the earth with plague. Uh, they can call down fire against their enemies. And so the world uh, is elated when these guys are dead. But in the midst of the anti-Christmas, uh, God breathes life into them. Uh, three sweetest words they ever hear, come up here. And a voice from heaven calls them home, and they ascend into heaven as their enemies look on. And I just felt led to pause here in this chapter and focus on these two witnesses, because our world uh, is becoming a greater challenge to be a witness for Jesus Christ. These witnesses stood in the midst of a lot of opposition, and they gave their lives 
for their faith. And so as we move into a world and a culture that's becoming more difficult to be a witness for Christ, I thought it's a good pause. It's really focused on this. Unfortunately, many Christians, uh, and at least professing Christians in the church, are not real witnesses in the world. They attend church, and attending church is, is not our witness for the world. A lot of people attend church. We looked at general prerequisites to be a faithful witness. One, you have to be willing to be unpopular. Uh, two, you have to have a fear of God more than a fear of death. And three, you have to have an eternal heavenly mindset. You have to really realize that this world is not our home. There are three ways, uh, I think, biblically, that we are witnesses and to be witnesses in our world. One is what we believe, and because we believe it, we speak it. Second, by how we live. And third, specifically by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, We got into the second one. I want to finish a little bit on how we live, and then I want to really hone in uh, for the rest of the message this evening on sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. A couple of people came to me after services last week, and they wanted me to spend more time on certain things. Well, that happens a lot, and I can't spend time on everything you want me to spend it on, but hopefully this will help from questions uh, last week in terms of how we live. We live by faith even when things don't make sense. And part of our witness in the world is that we trust God even when things happen in our lives that the world goes, what kind of a God do you serve? You let that happen to you. John the Baptist, great example, as he sits in prison and he sends some of his disciples to Jesus, and the question is, are you the one or should we look for someone else? Even John the Baptist doubted. Because as he sits there in jail, uh, no visit from Jesus, no uh, word from Jesus, and here he sits in jail, having been faithful, introducing the Messiah to the world. And the word back through his disciples to John was this. Tell John what's happening. All the signs, miraculous things, people being healed. And all the ministry that Jesus is doing. Tell him what's going on. And then say, blessed are all who are not offended on account of me. Jesus is out doing miracles for everybody else. John needs a miracle, but one's not coming. He would die. But he would have to trust. Despite everybody else getting their miracles and someone as important for the kingdom as John the Baptist doesn't get his miracle. Some of the specific last week that I'm saying this on these people's behalf. I don't know why you lost your husband. I don't know why you lost your wife. I don't know why you lost your child. I don't know as a Christian why things happen that we can't understand and we get perplexed by. But the challenge is, will you still trust when you don't understand? And it doesn't make sense. You get that break in Hebrews 11 called the Hall of Faith. There's a list of so many that have gone before, some named, some unnamed, some we recognize right away, the Moses and the Daniel. 
Then it has this tremendous shift. After a list of so many that received their miracles, others were tortured, went around in sheepskins and goatskins. Some were sawn in two and so mistreated by the world. But they were all commended for their what? For their faith. For their faith. Whether you receive the miracle or not. There's a cost. There's a consequence. Another question was, I work at a certain place locally, and if I mention the name of the place, you, especially the men, go there quite often. Home Depot. And person that works there, you know, and they're in a managerial position, and what do I do when they come? And, they, and my expectation as a manager is to push things like the gay pride parade, and I understand that challenge. And they want me to answer, what do I do? I said, well, you got to really... You got to pray about that, but you also got to realize that you can't compromise. And, and bottom line is, there's going to come a time for some of us, there, there's going to be a cost that we're not going to enjoy. And if you lose your job because you were a Christian, Daniel lost his, they threw him into a lion's den. And the stories in the scripture, you know, we read them and we like to talk about them. But when you start to realize, hey, maybe maybe I'm going to have to go through something like that. That's where the rubber really meets the road. Now, for Daniel, we know God shut the mouths of the lions. And you go, well, if I like, I'll, I'll put my job on the line as long as I know God's going to provide. Well, well, God will provide. Well, how he'll provide, I don't know. The bottom line is this. There's always a cost. There's always a consequence. So, how we live? We live by faith. And we live understanding that there is sacrifice and there is cost. And then third, and I wish I had, I wish, how we live. We live by faith. We live the life of the cross. And we are to live as Christians by love for one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. And if we're not in fellowship with one another, how, how in the world? Are we going to really love one another? That's a whole message in itself. But I, I, wish, I wish everybody that, that called me their pastor would really be involved in fellowship in one another's lives. Because that's what Christianity is all about. So, how we live. What we believe. We're willing to share it. How we live. And then third, by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the gospel? Well, one of the best definitions, and you can write this down if you'd like to, is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's not complicated. Uh, if you don't know exactly what the gospel is, it's very simple uh, to communicate. And here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Paul the apostle writes, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. It means good news, of the good news that I preach to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. He died for our sins. 
He was buried, and by him being buried, he took our sins and he buried them. And if we'll put our faith in him and his sacrifice, become his disciples, then we are resurrected by faith, and now in the process, we are cleansed. That's the gospel. It's the only way anybody can be saved. There's no other name among men whereby we must be saved, but the name Jesus, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, let me give you something real, real practical, if that, that is practical there. But if you want to write down some scriptures, you say, well, what scriptures do I use to share the gospel? Well, there's some tremendous ones, and someone dubbed it years ago the Romans Road, the Romans Road. And let me give you at least the foundational four scriptures called the Romans Road. These are good scriptures not only to know where they are and be able to turn to a Bible in a Bible and read them for somebody. They are good scriptures to memorize so you don't have to have a Bible. You can just quote them. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Now, you can go deeper, and we won't get into the deep stuff tonight, of course, but Romans chapter 1, chapter 2 deals with the Gentile and the Jew. That's anybody and everybody in the world. And then chapter 3 brings the conclusion that Jew and Gentile all alike are sinners. And the conclusion culminates in that famous verse I just gave you, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's important to emphasize the glory of God because People will say, well, I'm not really a bad guy, you know, never killed anybody. You know, I'm a nice guy, you know, I even pay my taxes, you know, and those kind of things. And, and people actually say that. They say that. Well, you know, if you say, well, why should God let you into his heaven? If you stand before God one day after you die and he says, why should I let you in? And I've asked that question to so many people. And most people say, well, I've tried to be a pretty good person. Fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, not the glory of man. Second verse, Romans 5, verse 8. We're all sinners, but in that while we were yet sinners. You can tell I memorized that one originally in the King James Version. And it just sticks. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So... All of sin falls short of the glory of God. Here's the good news. The gospel is good news. You don't leave them with the bad news. The gospel is good news. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. So you got Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, now Romans 6.23. What's that one? For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, it's good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Please understand, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The gospel is the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. But 
there are other verses that'll help us in people understanding the gospel. All of sin falls short of the glory of God. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. That's why we die. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Last verse in the Roman Roads Quartet. Romans 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Which tells us you can't be a Christian incognito. You can't just say, well, I really, I believe in my heart. No. Are you willing to confess Jesus Christ publicly? Publicly. So there's the Romans road. Hopefully that'll help you. Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23, and Romans 10.9. Those are great verses to be able to share with people in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, was in California for three days this past week at a pastor's conference, and one of the things they gave us at the pastor's conference was this little book by a guy named Ken Ham. Some of you know the name Ken Ham. He's a great Christian apologist, if you will. He's the guy behind the building of the Ark, which I'd like to visit there in Kentucky. But Ken Ham, they gave us this book. It was an easy read. Um, I read it. It's called Gospel Reset, and I thought it was very timely in light of this message. Gospel Reset. What the book does, the main point of the book is how culture in the Western world has changed and is continuing to change from North America to Europe to Australia. Let me just read you some of the great things in this book that helps us to understand the world that we're living in. The world is changing before our very eyes. Page 18. We are not imparting the gospel in a way the next generation can grasp. Of course, the message of the gospel hasn't changed, but the way people think has changed dramatically. Therefore, we must speak the truth of Scripture in the language of culture. He compares Acts chapter 2 with Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and shares the gospel, and 3,000 people get saved. Primarily a Jewish audience. And his point well taken, that Jewish audience had a biblical background and a biblical foundation and a biblical culture, okay? They understood what sin was. When you talked about God, they thought the God of Israel, for the most part. And he compares Acts 17 with Acts chapter 2. Acts 17 is where the Apostle Paul in Athens shares with a bunch of Epicurean philosophers and Stoics, the smartest, most intellectual people of the world in that day. And Paul, as he walks through Athens and sees all these idols, there's one idol, and it's an idol to an unknown God. And so Paul takes the opportunity, and as he stands before the people, I noticed you're very religious, all the idols. And I noted one that you have that you don't have a name for. And he starts and he says, I want to tell you about that unknown God. And he basically gives them 
a Bible history lesson. Why? Because they don't have a biblical background. They don't live in a biblical culture. They are Greeks. And Ken Ham makes a great point that what's happening in the Western world and many places in the world, we're being Greekized. Page 19. In Acts 2, Paul preached to Jews, while in Acts 17, Paul preached to Greeks. Their approaches were different based upon the worldviews of their audiences. The Jews in Acts 2 believed, thought, and viewed their world from a Jewish perspective. They already knew and understood what the Bible teaches about creation, sin, and other topics. However, the Greeks in Acts 17 did not have a foundational knowledge of biblical teachings on creation, sin, or other matters. We need to realize that. The world we live in has changed and continues to change. Page 21. Today, if you say the word God in the public schools, most students and teachers would respond, which God are you referring to? The Muslim God? A Hindu God? The Buddhist concept of God? Or a New Age God? Great point. Bear with me. How did all this happen? My next statements are not meant to be political in any way, shape, or form. I'm just trying to inform you. And if you get mad, get mad at Ken Ham. (laughs) In 2010, Free Inquiry, a secular humanist magazine, stated, A historic transition is occurring. Barely noticed, slowly, quietly, imperceptibly, religion... When they say religion, they usually mean Christianity is shriveling in America as it already has in Europe, Canada, Australia, across the developed world. Increasingly, supernatural faith belongs to the third world. The first world is entering the long-predicted secular age where science and knowledge dominate. What they are saying is there's been a change in our Western world from an Acts 2 culture to an Acts 17 one. In his keynote speech, Obama talked about a new America. Here's what he said back at that time. Whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation. At least not just. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation and a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. Next page. We are no longer a nation that believes in one God and builds our thinking in the Bible. That's what he wanted to let everybody know, that he was going to fundamentally transform the predominant worldview of our nation from a Christianized one to a secular one. Many of our founding fathers were Christian, and many of those who weren't Christian still respected the Bible. The predominant worldview that permeated America since its inception came from the Bible. And then he makes a point, and I highlight it, when there's no absolute authority to declare what is absolutely right and wrong, we end up like ancient Israel during the time of the judges. And what it says during that time is, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did as he saw fit. That's the world that we're living in. 
As you continue to study the book of Revelation, you'll see destruction and death, but also the incredible future that awaits you if you're a follower of Jesus. The pictures painted of the throne room of heaven are inspiring and exciting, and you will one day get to stand where John stood. You'll meet the Lamb of God, who took away your sins. You'll rejoice with the angels and spend eternity getting to know your Creator as He always intended, in perfect love. This is something to cling to as you move through the difficulties of life. Knowing that you have a new home waiting in heaven can also be the catalyst to move you to share the good news of grace with others. They can also have a chance to live eternally with Jesus, and they might just be waiting for someone to introduce them. We hope today's message on the Living Word has been a blessing to you, and we'd like to tell you how you can access more teachings from Pastor Danny. All you need to do is visit our website, ccfstpete.church. Click on Sermons to be directed to our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way, you'll never miss a new edition of The Living Word. Are you listening in the St. Petersburg area right now? If so, we have a special invitation for you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship would love to have you join us for our weekend services. Find out more and get directions at ccfstpete.church. Once more, that website is ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you'll join us again right here on The Living Word.